Men, if you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. And we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless. Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Genesis chapter three and the other spot in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're in part four of a series we've been doing called The Inner Man. And I wanna start today's session with a question. Have you ever had your identity stolen? Or maybe have you had your computer hacked? Or maybe you've had a ransomware or malware attack? Or maybe you've even been impersonated. You know, in today's digital world where we're completely reliant uh, on the internet and Wi-Fi, it's developed a whole new brand of criminal. They're called hackers. Uh, we see their work in data breaches, identity theft, uh, ransomware and malware attacks, industrial sabotage. But in the end, uh, there's one outcome. People are exploited and typically they lose money. And annually, between 15 and $20 billion is earned by these criminals who exploit people. In fact, I'm one of those victims. This last year, there was an email sent supposedly by me to the chief financial officer of Everyman Ministries. And it was requesting payment for an invoice for $16,000 for consulting. And I got, I got a message from our CFO that said, why didn't you discuss this with me? And you know, the tone was like, hey, we're supposed to talk about these things and when you spend money and especially that much money and so forth. And it just, wow, what happened? And then I realized when I looked at the email that I didn't write it. And there was some, some signal, some red flags that went off in my head. Uh, the tone was off in the request. It was very distant and demanding. It was kind of using power language to get my CFO to do this quickly and urgently that I would never uh, use. And so what happened was is I called a cybersecurity friend and uh, shared it with him. And then I handed him control of my computer and he started started looking through my computer and dialing through all of these levels in my computer. And then he said this, there he is. Um, I suppose it was a man, it could have been a woman, but my guy said, there he is. And what you could see was he was typing in code to get into my RSS feed to take over my email so he could impersonate me. And he had figured out that 
Sometimes I request invoices that are paid, and he was trying to steal money from Everyman Ministries. And, and so it was this subtle takeover, and thankfully, the cybersecurity uh, person uh, stopped it, and we solved the problem ongoing through what's called, and you might be familiar with this, I was new to it, double authentication. That means that uh, not only do you have to type in your password, but then you have to either answer a question, uh, put in a bit of personal information, but there's two forms of authenticating that to get into your computer system, which the hacker doesn't know, and it was, uh, and it was very successful. But here's the point. When you have an active threat and you recognize it, you got to take active measures. Now, hackers love what's called personally identifiable information, your social security number, your driver's license number, your passwords, right? They're the most uh, valued. Now, spiritually speaking, there is a hacker out there, and there's very prized information about you that he would love to corrupt. And it's what we have been talking about in parts one and two, that God fully accepts you. The quest of your soul to secure worth and significance, it's over when you're accepted by the ultimate source, which is God. You don't have to search for significance or meaning or worth once you know you're accepted by God. Not only that, you're not only accepted by him, you're fully loved by him, and you're fully identified with him. Now, in the spiritual realm, the hacker of your soul is Satan, and that's what we're going to talk about today in part four of the inner man. In part three, we were talking about how there's an inner change that we go through when we become secure and locked down in our inner man and the love of God, and that it starts this process of the inner man defeating the inner boy, and we start maturing on the inside. Why? Because we're secure in God's love. In this session, we're going to talk about not the inner change, but the inner challenge, all right? Because we have an identity in Christ. We realize and internalize that God loves us, accepts us, and we're fully identified with his love and acceptance through Christ. But that reality gets corrupted. That reality gets attacked with lies, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So what we're going to do is what we do normally in our sessions. We're going to look at God's word. We're going to get God's mind. And we're going to really stay in this space of spiritual warfare on the inner man. So we're going to start today kind of getting God's mind on our insides and then seeing how the hacker of our souls uses it. But let's start in Proverbs 29, verse 17. It says this, as water reflects your face, so your mind shows what kind of person you are. So we're just reiterating from God's word that, that our insides uh, and our inner journey is determinative. That, that kind of uh, guides us. It's the real us is operating on the inside. I want to follow that up with Proverbs 4.23, which says this, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts thoughts love your, your thoughts run your life. 
right? Your thoughts run your life. So between Proverbs 20, 29, 17 and Proverbs 4, 23, what we see is this picture, all right, of our mind and our thoughts and our perceptions and how those thoughts and perceptions produce choices. They give us the momentum in our life. Or maybe in other words, we are what we think and we do what we think. Now, here's the thing. God knows that. God tells us that. Satan knows that and he attacks it, right? That's why when Jesus was describing our relationship with God, he said this in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? This is what we live out of. The spiritual battle that we face isn't outside of us. It's between our ears. It's how we think about God, about situations, about ourselves, about other people, right? Now, God knows and wants us to have a relationship with him, and a strong relationship with God requires a strong mind. It requires your mind to relate to God. Now, if the hacker knows that, that's like your personally identifiable information that he knows. He knows that if he messes with your head about God's love, about God's acceptance, about God's ability, about God's person, about God's purposes, about God's life, if he can, if he can mess with you in that regard, then he knows that he can hack in to your inner man and get you doing things and thinking things that are out of alignment with his plan. In fact, we see that in Genesis chapter three, all right? We see Satan, the serpent, and he is hacking into Adam and Eve's mind. It says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So what did the hacker of the soul do? Right? He got into Eve's head. And he got in there with a suggestion that creates the fear of missing out. Right? You, you guys know that, right? FOMO, the fear of missing out. He says, hey, he, he, he just doesn't want you to experience this awesome thing and gets her thinking about, wow, I'm missing out. Okay, that's a fear, but God's in control and God said not to eat of that, but now the fear hacks into the system through the lie and now she's wondering, and of course we all know what the rest of the story is right? So she partakes of the, 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 the fruit of the tree that God forbid. She gets Adam into it. The fall happens. And now we have broken people and a broken planet. And now we have fear uh, entering the picture in human relationships and, uh, and infecting humanity. And that's the condition that we're living in right now. So here's the thing you need to know about the hacker then and the hacker now, based on scripture, write this down. The hacker, Satan, knows thinking determines living. If he can get into your thinking, he can affect your living, right? That's number one, right? 
Number two, write this down. The hacker will attack thinking to compromise trusting. So Eve was told by God, hey, have at it. Uh, it's just you and Adam. You're naked. You're unashamed. Enjoy yourself. But just don't do that, all right? And, but Satan hacks into Eve's thinking, gets her doubting God's person, get, gets her, her doubting God's character, like he doesn't have her best interest in mind, and then she takes the bait of the lie. Now she's infected with fear, and in fear, because she doesn't wanna miss out, she disobeys God. So the hacker knows thinking determines living. The hacker will attack thinking to compromise trusting. And then it's kind of like a domino effect. The hacker's goal, write this down, is to compromise trusting to foster fearing. Right? If, if trust is compromised, fear can be cult cultivated. Wow, Eve, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. Why do you trust him? He, I mean, he has this great thing out here for you, and but he's not letting you do it, all right? So now her trust in God is compromised, and now her fear is fostered and stoked, all right? Now, in this story and in our lives, the hacker wins when, write this down, fearing fuels replacing God. What does Eve do? Well, she asserts her own will, which goes against God's will. In other words, she becomes God. Now, isn't it interesting that Satan was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be like God. So Satan lies to Eve to get her to assert her independence from God, just like he tried to, and take his place, just like he tried to. And he makes a suggestion that she's missing out she takes the bait, she believes the lie, it fosters fear, and now, guess who's God? Eve is. Can I just say that that scene in Genesis chapter three is the same attack that is being played out in my life and in your life right now, All right? And we're gonna unpack that, but let's write down our inner man fact for session four. Write this down. Inner fear is universal but inner corruption is optional. Now, inner fear is universal. And 365 times in the Bible, you'll see do not fear or fear not, all right? You don't say don't be afraid or fear not if there isn't fear already in there, all right? So inner fear is universal. Human beings have fears about the future, about a lot of things, all right? But the Bible says we don't have to be corrupted like Eve was and deceived. That corruption is optional. We, we can turn to God. We can trust God. We can rely on his awareness of our lives. We can rely on his love, his acceptance, his ability to redeem and to repurpose things. We don't have to get corrupted. We don't have to become afraid, and we don't have to become insecure. You get corrupted when you start listening to the lie and becoming afraid. That is the first sign that your inner man is corrupted. So what does the Bible say? We gotta fight uh, with the weapons that we have to prevent that corruption. 
So corruption is optional, uh, which means that we got to fight. We're not powerless. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 about spiritual battle, the mind, and uh, fighting thoughts that, that, that seek to compromise trust and belief in God. It says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We, listen, me and you, this is our job. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what you have is a theater of battle. The theater of battle is in your mind. There are patterns of thinking that the hacker wants to embed in your mind that get you distant and separated from God, right? And the Bible says that when the thought, the lie, the pattern of thinking comes, uh, we don't play nickel poker with those things because they're attacking yours and my relationship with God. Uh, you dads out there, you love your kids? Would you defend against that? anyone who would seek to attack your relationship with your kids? Well, if you would, just think about your relationship with God. What's the most important thing in our lives, men? It's our relationship with Jesus. And uh, just as I would rise up to defend my daughters in our relationship, man, my relationship with Jesus, it's worth defending, right? So that's what the Bible says. Your relationship with Jesus is under constant attack, and the attack is is bad thinking, it's arguments, it's persuasive suggestions, it's pretensions or assertions, right? When the Bible says we demolish arguments in every pretension, a pretension is the same as an assertion. It's a claim, just like Satan claimed and asserted that, Eve, you're missing out, you're blowing it. God doesn't care about you. He's preventing you from having fun and experiencing all this great stuff. And that was a lie, that was an argument and pretension that set itself up against Eve having a strong relationship with God. And so in that moment, uh, she didn't reject it, she accepted it. Uh, the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 10 that when that moment comes and there's a suggestion, and it's gonna come, that, hey, you're missing out, um, God's holding out on you, he doesn't love you, uh, this has gone on too long, Whatever the lie is, it's trying to put a wedge between you and God so that space can be made through fear to sin. We're supposed to take that captive thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, there's our solution. I want you to think about this like a customs uh, station in an airport. So you land in a foreign country, you got to go through customs because you're not a resident of that country. So then you have to go through, there's a little person in the booth and you have your passport documentation and that person waves you over and then, you know, looks at your passport, validates your picture that you're from that country, runs it through the system. What's she doing? She's assessing you before she lets you into that country. And then she might ask you, so Mr. Locke, where, why are you here? And what are you doing? And where are you staying? And when she's satisfied that you aren't a threat to that country, she takes out her little stamp and she stamps it and says, you know, welcome to our country, right? That is how we're supposed to manage our mind. Not all thoughts are equal. 
when the Bible says that we are to love God with our mind, all right, that means we're supposed to manage it like a custom station. We're supposed to assess thoughts that come into our mind, not just, not just free willy, let them in, you know, no borders, no protection. Our mind is valuable. Uh, we do what we think and uh, we are what we think. That's where the battle's fought. So we have to have a, an assessment um, infrastructure on the inside. We're like, no, that thought, that's not from God. We have to love God with our mind, which means we have to love God with our thoughts, which means we have to examine thoughts. And if one of those thoughts is from the hacker or the terrorist of your soul, we need to take it captive, arrest it, walk it right back out, and kick it out. Not getting in. Why? Because if we keep it in, then we're going to dive into sin. You see how spiritual battle starts in the mind. So, remember my story about how there were some red flags uh, that, that my computer system and uh, a software program had been compromised? There were some red flags. You know, there was... There was emails being taken over. There, were, there was a tone of message. That's what happens when your computer system uh, or a software system is compromised. There, the, the, the tone of the email was wrong in my case. Or you, know, you might be compromised with an attack and you see these unfamiliar pop-ups or the, the speed of your computer slows down or you see funny windows. But it lets you know that these red flags let you know, hey, something's up, right? And when it comes to you and your inner man, all right, God's presence and your security in God's presence, God's love and your inner security and confidence and peace and worth in God's love can be corrupted by a lie that you believe. And then here's what happens. Just like Eve believed the lie and started behaving out of the lie, we believe a lie about God, his love, his presence, his purpose, his promises. And we start acting out of character. There's some red flags that, that kind of, we start behaving differently. Why? Because we're not living in and out of God's love and presence in our lives. We're living in and out of fear, right? And we're doing whatever it takes, right? To resolve the fear, which might even be sin or might even be sinning because we got to resolve the fear that's rooted in the lie, and we become inwardly corrupted, and that produces outward signs. Um, and so I want to walk through just some, some red flags and uh, that, that, that are a sign to us that our inner security in God's love has been hacked. And the first one, uh, the first red flag I want to mention, this is, this is very common, worry starts controlling your spirit. All right, and now this is an easy one to dismiss, right? Because all people worry. We worry about a lot of things. We worry about our kids. We worry about the future. We worry about the job. We worry about who's in the White House. We worry, we worry about a lot of things. But the distinction I want to make is that abiding anxiety, constant worry, all right? You know what that's a signal of? It's a signal that the future in your mind right, needs to be under your control. And um, good luck with that. Your shoulders aren't big enough to take on the future. And yet, you're acting like you can carry it. You're acting like that needs to be under control. You need things to be contri 
predictable. Uh, you need uh, things to, you need to know beforehand, and there is a, an abiding anxiety and a constant worry. You know anybody like that? Could be yourself, uh, could be a friend, could be a spouse. Um, but here's the lie if worry controls your spirit. The lie that you're believing is that, you know, God's ability, God's love, God's wisdom, you know, it's good for a lot of things, but just not this one thing or just not for my future. I, I have to take control of that. Man, that's anxiety producing because you can't control the future. Most people who suffer from anxiety are trying to know the future and control the future, so to avoid pain. And while that's human, it's not healthy. And that's a red flag because God is in control and he loves you and he's wise and he's able. So if you've gone from that place of knowing and internalizing that to abiding anxiety and, and constant worry, you've been hacked, right? That's red flag number one. Red flag number two is restlessness controls your actions, all right? So it's almost like red flag number one about worry kind of dominoes, and then you get restless, and that, that restlessness starts controlling your action. You can't, can't get comfortable with yourself, with your life, with your circumstances. And you suffer from what I call the longing and living gap, all right? You long for comfort and constancy and stability, but you live in a world of temporary. You live in a state of temporary with, with everyone and, and everything. It's hard for you to be just grateful and content and at rest. And when you're, when you can't be grateful or if it's difficult to be grateful, if you can't be content and it's, or it's difficult to be content, here's what happens. It makes getting closer to others really hard. And when you're restless, you, you end things early, you prematurely bail out, uh, you don't stay with things. You're, cause why? Because you're always wondering what, what's going to happen next. And someone who's always wondering what's going to happen next or what, what shoe's going to drop or what's the next step or what are we going to do you know, next, you can't be present. That destroys relationships. And so restlessness kills gratitude and contentment, which means by default that it's fostering ingratitude and discontentment. And, and an ungrateful and discontent person is a horrible person to be in relationship with. So that's red flag number two, restlessness, all right? Red flag number three is what I call vacillation, right? There's a big word that sabotages your relationships. Let me explain and you'll, you'll get it, all right? A person who's a vacillator, they act like they don't need others and then Confusingly, they act like they can't live without them, right? You ever meet someone or know someone like that? All right, they don't need anybody and they demand distance and then they really need you and they demand closeness. You know, it's that whole I love you but I hate you type dynamic going on. It's like, uh, it's like one of those oscillating fans, you know, the fans that, that go across the room and it, it hits its limit and then it turns the other direction uh, but here's one problem about oscillating or vacillating 
uh, fans that are actually people who are needing you and not needing you, loving you and hating you, and want to be close but but need their space. You know, you know, you can't get close to a person like that, right? And here's where it's rooted: fear of abandonment and rejection. That creates the dynamic of pushing people you want close to you far away. And that is a red flag, right? That's why, that's how I know that, that God's acceptance of you, God's love for you, you identifying with his love and acceptance, permanent acceptance, uh, has been attacked, right? That you can't, you can't rest in that. And because you can't rest in that, you start acting that out and um, you become what I call a vacillator. And vacillators um, always sabotage their relationships, right? Being needed by someone and being a threat at the same time, you know what that's called? Dysfunctional, okay? And that's a red flag, all right? Number four red flag is you avoid conflict and you're always trying to please people, all right? When you're soul has been hacked and you, uh, your security and God's love has been corrupted, right? Your insides uh, can't tolerate disagreement. Why? Because you're insecure on the inside, right? You're not sure how you're coming across, all right? You want to rock the boat. And so you please people and you behave apologetically and you, you keep the peace. And But here's the problem. When you're a pleaser and a conflict avoider, do the problems go away? because you pleased people and avoided the conflict? No. It piles up, right? A bunch of unresolved issues, you know? And that's a red flag because those unresolved issues will pile up and store up and feed negative emotions and, and resentment inside. And that is the devil's playground when you are all, all filled with negative emotions that are, are unexpressed, okay? So that's red flag number four. Red flag number five is you have a public-private split, and this is exactly how it sounds. In public, you're one person, you have an image, you have a perception that you've carefully crafted and cultivated, and people think about you a certain way, usually in a good way, but privately, you're another person that you would be horrified for the public to know about you, right? You ever know somebody like that? I think we're all like that to a certain degree, but sometimes the, the degree of difference is stark, and it's dark, and it's driven by the hacker of your soul that you're afraid that if people really knew you, they wouldn't accept you. So you got to act one way in public, and then you act another way in private when God has fully accepted you just as you are and is working with you and loves you and wants to love you out of that miserable public-private split. A lot of times we become so split that the wall that we build between our image and our private reality is so high, we feel like we can never get back over to be authentic and transparent about our private struggles. Not true, don't buy the lie, all right? Red flag number six is what I call outbursts you regret, all right? So think about it. When you have uh, either a public-private split or 
you're a conflict avoider and you have all these internal pressures and, and, and splits and negative emotions connected to them, all right? Uh, you, don't, you don't talk about necessarily how you're feeling because you don't wanna ruin the image and you don't wanna cause disagreement, but you feel a lot of hurt. It's like you're a sensitive person. You're like a bruise that's hiding under a, a thing of clothing and, and man, the bruise has gotten softer and more sensitive and softer and more sensitive and God help the person that bumps into you and whoa, out it comes, right? There's outbursts that you regret. And I know that I'm talking to some men right now where that's you. And you're realizing for the first time where that is coming from. Your soul has been hacked. You've believed the lie. You're living out of fear versus living in God's acceptance and love. And you're taking on one of these personas. And then lastly, the last red flag is perceptions trump reality. How do you know that your soul has been hacked and your security and God's love has been corrupted? Well, it's more important that people see you in a certain way than accept you as you are. Flaws and all, that is a definite sign that your soul has been hacked. So what do we do, all right? So there's a, a hacker, there is a strategy that he has to, to attack that personally identifiable information about you spiritually, the most prized being that your worth and your significance and uh, your peace is in God's love. He has to attack that. He has to corrupt that. Um, and when he does, uh, he can get us living in and out of the lie versus living in and out of God's love. Now, what's the solution? Well, it's a daily one, uh, and it involves a couple of things. Check out your notes. It involves booting up authenticating and locking that hacker out of your soul. Remember my first story, all right? So I had to, to bring in, uh, I had to reboot, re reformat, you know, my security system. Then I had this authentication system, and then I successfully locked the hacker out from corrupting uh, and stealing and robbing me of my identity and my life. So what does it mean spiritually? Well, we gotta boot up our mind, we gotta authenticate God's presence and posture toward us, why? Because every day uh, is a new battle and new hacking attempt. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at scripture and we're gonna reiterate what God says about booting up your mind and authenticating his presence. Uh, let's start with Jesus. We read this once, but it's worth reading again. All right, he says this, love the Lord your God with all your mind, all right? So we can't have a strong connection and love being exchanged with God where we sense and feel God's love and we love him back and we experience intimacy and that intimacy gives us worth and significance and meaning unless we're doing the work up here, unless we're aggressively and alertly managing our mind. You see in the Bible, lots of people who get this, all right, and where they have to boot up every day and 
boot up in God's love. Look at what it says in Psalm 143, verse 8. It says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my entire life. It's what we talked about at the top of this session, where thinking determines living, and if you can attack thinking, you can compromise trusting, and if you can compromise trusting, you foster fearing. This man of God in Psalm 143 is, is, is doing exactly what he needs to do. He's battling to live in and out of God's love. Let the morning, the morning, first part of the day, let the morning bring me word, right? A message of your love for me, right? And then where does it go? Why? Because now I'm, you know, when I, when I sense and feel and am secure in your love, I trust you. And then I'm, I'm able to allow you to teach me and show me the way I should go, how I should live, and I can live in and out of your love. I can entrust my life to you. Um, in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says this. You can see it on your notes. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So when we're steadfast in our mind and we're battling in our mind and we're protecting um, our relationship with God and our our sense and perception of his love, his acceptance, our identity in him, all right, we experience peace, right, versus fear and worry and restlessness and vacillation and conflict avoidance and outbursts and this tension of public and private uh, splitting and where we got to just defend the image, right? That's just nerve-wracking, all right? But if we win the battle of the mind, if we boot up our mind and we authenticate God's presence and posture toward us, we can win the battle and lock the hacker out of our soul. So here's how we boot up and authenticate God's presence, through remembering, right? So if there's a truth about you, we need to meditate on that truth, reflect on that truth, and remember that truth in order to preserve our inner man, and our intimacy in God. And I want us to just kind of highlight three truths about remembering, because that's the key, right? The, the psalmist says, hey, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. He knows God loves him, but he's got to each day reboot and remember that God loves him, all right? Write this down. Number one, remembering is a daily joy. Remembering's a daily joy. So each day I wake up and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is Psalm 118.24. I really encourage you, if you don't have a way to boot up and authenticate God's love in your life, you memorize, and it's really easy to memorize, Psalm 118.24, and you start your day every day rebooting and authenticating God's presence and posture in your life. This is what it says right there on your notes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? It's good morning, Lord, not, oh, Lord, it's morning, right? I know that that's a battle too. But you know what? Every day we wake up, God's love is the same. Our circumstances might change. Our environment might change. Our location might change. But it doesn't change how God feels about us, whether we're at the peak of life and experiencing success or when we're in the pit 
God loves you in both places, in your adversity and in your prosperity. God's love doesn't change, right? And so when we wake up every day, right, we need to rejoice daily in God's love. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God's over the day. God made me. God loves me. God's got a plan for me. I'm going to connect to it. I'm rebooting, all right? In Lamentations, the man of God, Jeremiah, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of bad circumstances going on, all right? And some of you out there, it's just like relentless. You're like, when are we going to turn a corner, all right? Maybe you're feeling that way. That's how Jeremiah felt, and that's what I love about the Bible. But listen to what he says. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Say that with me, every morning. All right, every morning. He's rebooting. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, right, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. In other words, I'm not going to get sped up. I'm not going to let my circumstances tell me who I am. I'm not going to let what's happening around me define how I think about myself and how I think about God. I'm not going to take the bait that God has abandoned me, that God doesn't care, that God's promises aren't true, that God's not able to redeem. Jeremiah is is remembering God's love. He's rebooting, right? I love that. I say to myself, right? This is healthy self-talk. You're telling your soul, right? The Lord is my portion. I'm not consumed because of his great love. I don't have to sink into despair or live out of fear. And, and by default, he's rejecting the lie that says, you're hopeless, right? God's love is not around. You should give in to your feelings, right? God doesn't care about you, right? He didn't care about you yesterday or today. He's gone. And, and Jeremiah's prayer contradicts every single one of those things. I'm calling to mind. I have hope because of the Lord's great love. I don't have to be consumed. This isn't going to define me. He's compassionate toward me. He's new every morning. He's faithful, right? So I say to myself, Lord's my portion. I'm going to wait for him. He doesn't run ahead of God, right? So remembering is a daily joy. Number two, remembering is a daily battle, isn't it? Satan would want you to forget. God warns you in the word not to forget about his love. Read Deuteronomy 8. I mean, miracle after miracle, and he goes, you know what? Don't forget me. When I bless you, but remembering is a daily battle. And man, Satan is very invested in you forgetting about the fact that you're fully loved, fully accepted, fully identified with God. God's in control. God's able. God loves you. And he's wise and he has your best interest in mind. He wants you to forget all that. Right? Why? Because then you're open to suggestion and you're open to the lie and you're open to fear. Um, look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, it's a rephrase of a verse we read earlier, but it's from the message version. I love it. It says this, the world, right, culture, everything around us, is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't fight 
or live our battles that way. Never have, never will. And we are believers. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely, massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing, listen, warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. What a picture! I love that line where he says, we believers, men of God, are fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse. Man, those have gotten me in trouble. Loose thoughts, loose emotions, loose impulses into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Right? We're clearing the ground, right? We're clearing the mind of every obstruction, right? The lies and building lives of obedience into maturity. Um, in Psalm 37, 31, it talks about how the man of God uh, fights his daily battle. It says this, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. The law of God, uh, the law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. Do you see the picture? So here's a righteous man, right? Here's a man of God. And the picture is that he is, he's speaking the truth of God that he has stored up inside of his heart to battle. So he comes into a situation and the situation requires that he make a moral decision or he have a direction and he speaks what is just, right? And then it says that it's already in there. So he pulls it out and the result is, is that he doesn't slip. Right? He doesn't go backwards. Right? Why? Because he doesn't take the bait. Why? Because he has God's word in his heart. Why? Because he speaks uh, the word of God. Guys, I got to tell you, if you don't have God's word in your heart to speak into emotions, relationships, work, situations, right? you have nothing to say, then that void will be filled by a lie if you don't possess the truth if you don't speak the truth, if you don't carry the truth like the sword that the Bible says it is and stick it right into the lie and suggestion that is saying, you know what? You should do that, all right? This feels bad. This feels good. You should do that, all right? That's from the enemy. But the picture here is the man of God puts it in, puts the word of God in his life, and he lets it out. Every day he puts promises in, and he speaks and lets the promises out. He lets the truth into his life, and then he lets the truth out, come out of his life, right? With his mouth, right? And that's how we battle. So remembering is a daily joy. That's how we keep the hacker of our soul out. Remembering is a daily battle. We gotta have the word to replace the lie and the suggestion that somehow God is not smart about something or he's not with us. Third, remembering is a discipline and a lifestyle. Now, I don't know about you, you might hate the D word, all right, the discipline word, but I know that you understand the value of disciplines. I don't feel like engaging in the disciplines of my life. I have a lot of disciplines. 
in the moment, I, I don't feel like engaging them. But you know, after I engage them, I have a sense of well-being. I have a sense of satisfaction. And I have uh, just a, a peace uh, that comes from battling through my feelings into that discipline and acting my way into feelings versus feeling my way into disciplines and actions. The Bible talks about that, how the man of God is uh, disciplined up here, because that's what we've been saying the whole time. Uh, it's a mindset. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. It says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So there's this picture of control, right? Governing, controlling, right? There's your life, there's your mind, and then there's two sources, right? The flesh and the spirit, and one of them is governing and controlling your life. And by the way, Satan loves to work with his buddy in you, the flesh, the old you, right? The guy that naturally gravitates toward doing the wrong thing, versus you being controlled by the spirit who God works with. So here we are, guys, uh, remembering who we're connected to remembering that we're men of God, remembering that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's a desire that God has for us, and disciplining ourselves to work with God's desires versus the flesh's desires, right? And I like to call the flesh the chump. I like to call the Holy Spirit the champ. You know, the chump suggests stuff that will separate you from God and keep you immature in your inner man. The Spirit suggests things that will show love for God and people and grow you up, as we've been learning. Now, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, it, it kind of talks about this, this discipline and lifestyle and how it breeds confidence. Um, let's read that right now. We have confidence in the Lord that, that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So here's where it all comes together. You've got a believer who's loved and accepted by God, right? They have to duke it out, right, on a daily basis. They have to remember daily. They have to battle daily. They have to do, they have to remember uh, as a discipline who they are and what they're committed to and who they're connected with, right? And the prayer is, may the Lord direct your heart into God's love and Christ's perseverance, all right? What does it look like? Well, they're doing and will continue to do the things that God wants. Awesome, right? That's a good firewall, right? Against the hacker of your soul. So today, we kind of looked at how using this picture of hacking, identity theft, infection, and recognizing an active threat uh, to your inner man and you getting corrupted on the inside by the hacker who brings lies, that creates fears, that produces actions, not taking the bait, and then looking at, hey man, here's some signs. Look on your notes. Look at those red flags that, that signal to us that 
God's presence and love in our lives has been corrupted. And then let's commit to reboot, all right? We reboot our thinking. We authenticate our identity and our connection to God and his love for us. How? By remembering his love. That's a daily joy. By battling, all right, in our minds every day. And, and how we need to remember that it's a discipline, right? We're not going to feel like doing it, but that's never a good way to get anything done, to feel your way into an action versus act your way into a feeling. So what I want to do to close out our time is I want to pray a, a firewall declaration prayer where we're just going to lock out the hacker of our soul. Right? It is right there on your notes, and uh, you can just relax and just say these words with me, uh, or you can read them with me, but the most important thing is that we remember right now that we're fully accepted by God. We're fully loved by God. We're fully identified with God, and we are His children. We don't have to chase peace, worth, acceptance, and we don't have to believe the lies of the enemy that come through friends, culture, that say, you know what? God's holding out on you. He's not. He has a purpose and a plan. So let's declare our position in Christ. Let's declare our victory in Christ right now with this firewall declaration. You can just say it with me. Why don't you just say it out loud, right where you are. I don't care where you are. You might be running. You might be in a coffee shop. You might be in your favorite chair. You might be outside. But I want you to speak like God's word says we are to speak what is just. And let's render a judgment for that hacker who tries to get into our soul. Say this with me. I am in Christ. The blood of Jesus was shed for me, covers me and seals me. I am a son of the Most High God. I am fully accepted by God. I am fully loved by God. I am fully defined by God. It is written, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. That is who I am, and that is what I will do today and every day. To Jesus be the glory. Amen. If you prayed that firewall declaration with me, the hacker of your soul, he's locked out. Now, it's time to boot up daily, Authenticate who you are, remember daily, right? Battle daily, discipline yourself daily to connect with God's love. We'll see you next week for part five.